Today's lecture is on lymphatic system. We're going to start studying the lymphatic system. We're going to do the first part today, and on Tuesday, we're going to cover more about immunity and more mechanisms. Today, we're going over the composition of the lymphatic system, what are the parts, what are the organs, and on Tuesday, we'll cover the mechanisms of immunity, humoral and cellular immunity. So let's start with this concept that we talked about this in 40B when we did blood vessels and especially when we talked about the fluids, the circulation that blood goes or comes through the arterioles mm -hmm. and when it's time for exchange of fluids or diffusion of nutrients into the cells all the fluid come out of the blood vessel, and this happens in the capillary blood vessels, the capillary network, and the fluid will return to the venous side, and the veins will bring the blood back to the heart. But we say that if fluid comes out of the capillary vessels in 10 units, nine units will return to the veins and one unit will remain as a difference and that difference is picked up by the lymphatic capillaries which are shown in green here so that is one of the points of the lymphatic system it is composed by many lymphatic vessels depicted in green here and they are located everywhere all over the body right next to the capillary network of blood vessels and that is everywhere because their function is to pick up the fluid maintain the balance of tissue fluid that's what the lymphatic vessels do as part of the lymphatic system and if there is no lymphatic vessels if the lymphatic system is failing for some reason well that difference of one would not be one would be two or three or more and we see this as swelling or edema that's one of the problems of the lymphatic system when that happens another thing to show in this graph is that the lymph is that fluid that is picked up by the lymphatic vessel and it's circulating inside these vessels and the circulation is in only one direction the lymphatic vessels only pick up the fluid and bring it back to the circulation so there's no two ways, there's only one way. And this lymphatic vessel is blind-ended. It ends up here. There's no more connection. It's all pickup. It's all about pickup fluids. So one of the functions of the lymphatic system, and it's listed here, drain interstitial fluid. All that fluid in between the tissues, called interstitial fluid, is picked up by the lymphatic system, keeping the balance of uh, fluid in that space. But there are other, other functions of the lymphatic system. One of them, and a very important one, is the gastrointestinal tract. Transport of lipids that we eat in our diet. The lipids are absorbed by the small intestine and they go to a lymphatic vessel. And they are transported by the lymph. The rest of nutrients, carbohydrates and proteins, they are transported by 
the veins, the blood, only the lipids, they get reach, reach the lymph, all the fatty vessels. And finally, it is the mediator, it is the vehicle, it participates as part of the immune response. The immune response, which is these mechanisms that we have to defend against microorganisms or invasions, foreign particles, that happens in organs of the lymphatic system. So three functions, three main functions to mention about the lymphatic system. And these are the components. The lymphatic capillaries. Lymphatic capillaries are those that we saw right next to the capillary blood vessels. All these capillaries, they get together in vessels or larger diameter, and they are called lymphatic vessels. The lymphatic vessels start bringing all this fluid back to the, uh, the veins. And on the way, on the way of the lymphatic vessels, we will find lymph nodes, which is one of the organs of the lymphatic system, the lymph nodes. The lymph circulates in the lymphatic vessels. They, uh, the lymph gets into the lymph nodes and it continues its way to more lymphatic vessels until they reach bigger vessels called lymphatic trunks. Lymphatic trunks are just bigger lymphatic vessels. And then lymphatic ducts, which are the biggest of all, and they are going to connect to a vein. The, the lymphatic ducts connect to a vein. It's usually the subclavian vein or superior vena cava, because all this lymph that is picked up finally will be drained into the veins, mixed with the blood. The organs are divided into types, primary lymphatic organs and secondary lymphatic organs, plus lymphoid tissue, lymphoid tissue that is scattered in many other organs. We mentioned uh, all these tissues, examples of them. So these are the components. Let's go one by one and describe what are the functions, what are the anatomy, how they connect to each other, and how they work. It's another um, diagram showing all this lymphatic system circulation. And as I said, here we see how the lymphatic ducts are draining to a major vein. In this case, to the junction of the jugular and subclavian vein. That's where these lymphatic ducts drain the lymph finally. And we see all the uh, uh, all these components that we listed, lymphatic vessels. There's a lymph node here. One of the functions of the lymph node, and we'll see that, is it works as a filter. As a filter, because there are vessels called afferent that will feed the lymph node with lymph. The lymph will get through the lymph node and leave the lymph node through the efferent, efferent lymphatic vessels. So on the way, the lymph nodes will filter the lymph going on the way back to uh, the vein. There are lymphatic capillaries everywhere. That's what is showing here, right next to the capillary uh, blood vessels.
And on top we see the direction of the sequence that this follows. Interstitial fluid goes to the lymphatic capillaries first, then turn into the lymphatic vessels, the lymphatic vessels, they drain into the lymphatic trunks, lymphatic ducts, and finally they drain into the subclavian veins. Here we see some diagrams showing this distribution of lymphatic vessels, lymph nodes, and lymphatic organs. Uh, look at this diagram right down here with different colors, green and blue. What they're showing us is that the green area, we can draw it here, just like this. That part of the body, that part of the body contains lymphatic vessels, lymph nodes, uh, that will drain finally into the right lymphatic duct and the right lymphatic duct to the subclavian vein right here. And the other part of the body, all that is shown in blue in that small graph, contains all lymphatic nodes, vessels, and everything, and they will drain to. Uh, thoracic duct, thoracic duct into the subclavian vein, the left subclavian vein in this case. So that's how the lymph is distributed and uh, the areas of the body that pick up those, uh, those, that lymph. And in this other picture we can also see this in the same way, we can divide this in this, in that way. Right upper limb and head will be, and half of the head will be uh, picked up by the thoracic duct, I mean the right lymphatic duct into the right subclavian vein, and from the left side of the body, the thoracic duct into the left subclavian vein. We can see organs here in this graph also, we're going to study all these organs. We see many lymph nodes, some of them are in the inguinal region, and they are called inguinal lymph nodes, but they are everywhere. But they're usually distributed in regions, special regions like the, in, uh, the inguinal region, the axillary region. We have groups of lymph nodes there, cervical lymph nodes in the neck. Other organs, the spleen is one of the lymphatic organs. The lymphoid tissue that we mentioned in the previous slide it is found in the wall of the small intestine and they have a name, they are called Payer's Patches. And it's, in this graph is seen like the green dots because they are in the wall of the small intestine. The thymus is another lymphoid tissue, the thymus gland, I mean organ, the thymus. And the bone marrow, red bone marrow is another lymphoid organ or lymphatic organ. And on top we have the tonsils, which is another organ of the lymphatic tissue. So talking about the lymph, this is another graph to show what the lymph is. We see the spaces and see how the plasma inside the blood vessel, um, it is in in the intravascular compartment. That's what we call all the space in, inside the blood vessels. And it's called the intravascular fluid. 
outside of the blood vessels we have extracellular fluid known as the interstitial fluid and intracellular fluid inside the cells. So what happens when the nutrients get out of blood vessels, they diffuse, get into the interstitial fluid, and from the interstitial fluid, they diffuse into the intracellular fluid so the cells can take up those nutrients. But this interstitial fluid is maintained at a certain amount all the time to guarantee there's always nutrients, fluids, anything that the cells need. And this tube is showing lymph. That's how the lymph looks like. It's like milky fluid because it contains plasma proteins, the same proteins as in the plasma, it contains many other nutrients, and sometimes contains large amounts of lipids, especially after some meal rich in fat. If you could see the lymph 30 minutes after a Sunday breakfast where you eat sometimes uh, scrambled eggs and bacon and ham. Well, you, should, you will see the lymph yellow because it has a lot of fluids, I mean a lot of lipids there. But then the lipids are absorbed from the intestine, they are transported by the lymph, but they finally end up in the, in the blood circulation and get to the liver for further processing. All the time, the lymph is like this. There's like a milky fluid, white fluid, maybe yellowish. Um, and it looks very similar to the plasma. Sometimes it looks very similar to the plasma, which is kind of yellowish and, and more transparent. So the lymphatic vessels are everywhere. This picture is showing one lymph node. It's a very small lymph node. They're usually these lymph nodes are bigger than this, but they're different sizes. But they show very well how the lymphatic vessels afferent are bringing the lymph into the lymph node and leaving the lymph node through the efferent uh, lymphatic vessels. That's why these lymph nodes uh, work as a filter. They are on the way. They are on the way of the circulation of lymph. And here we see the final, the final destination of the fluid of this link. Left or right lymphatic duct. That is the end of this, um, uh, of the link. The right lymphatic duct bring in the link from the right upper limb and right half of the head. Will drain to the subclavian. <laughs> and the thoracic duct, also known as the left lymphatic duct. So to make it easier, sometimes we say right lymphatic duct and left lymphatic duct. But the thing is that we got used to call this thoracic duct, and we can call it thoracic duct or left lymphatic duct. Either one, either name works. And it drain also to the junction of the subclavian vein and jugular vein right here. Those are the points of drainage of the lymphatic ducts. The lymphatic capillaries are blind-ended and transport the lymph in only one direction as we see. One-way flow. 
there are special valves here in between the cells of endothelium of these capillaries that work as valves and overlap. So that allows the fluid to come in, the lymphatic vessels, but the fluid will not escape, will not leak. Once inside, it will stay inside and will continue its, its way up to the veins. This is what I was speaking about. This is lymph. This is lymph, but after lipid-rich meal. It looks yellowish, turbid, milky plus yellow. This is actually called chyle. Chyle. That lymph that we find in the small intestine, capillary, I mean lymphatic vessels, that they have a, a name, they have a special name, and those vessels and capillaries are called lacteals. Lacteals are in the small intestine, in the wall of the small intestine, and they are absorbing all these dietary lipids um, all the time. Chyle means lymph with lipids, and that's the appearance of this. Usually in the books, they uh, depict these lacteals in green, and as part of these uh, villi, intestinal villi um, on the wall. This is a graph of lymphatic no uh, lymph nodes connected to many, many lymphatic vessels. Now all these lymph nodes, as you see, they're very close to one another. Very, very close to one another. And that's a mechanism of security, we can say, because the point is to filter. Filter microbes, germs, micro uh, foreign particles, and even cancer cells. Even cancer cells. So if some of these particles is trapped in the first leaf node, perfect, but if not, then the particle may continue its way, but it will find another lymph node, and another, and another. There are groups of 20, 50 lymph nodes in many regions. So that makes sure that there are not only one filter, but many filters. And what's going on in the lymph nodes? Well, the lymph nodes, we'll see next, inside the lymph node, we'll find the cells of the immune system. So what happens in the lymph node is practically is a battlefield. All the cells are fighting against bacteria, against foreign particles, and even malignant cells from cancer. Now, in the thoracic cavity and in the, and, and the abdominal cavity, there are also lymph nodes. The lymph nodes are around the <clears throat> mediastinum, which is the space in between the heart and the lungs, around the roots of the lungs. And all these lymph nodes from the cavities, they are also connected and drain uh, the lymph to efferent blood vessels, but they are all collected and transported. In the thorax, we find only one big duct that receives all this lymph from the cavities, and that is the thoracic duct. That's actually the name of this. The thoracic duct comes from the fact that this duct is running in the thorax. 
and it's the only one. It's a single lymphatic, uh, big lymphatic vessel running in the thoracic cavity. The thing is that if we follow it, we see it draining to the subclavian vein. And we still call it thoracic duct because it comes from the thoracic duct. There's only one. But to make it better understood, we sometimes call these two connections right lymphatic duct and left lymphatic duct. But it's the same thoracic duct that collects the lymph from the thorax, from all the lymph nodes in the thorax. And even more, if we go lower, if we go below the thorax to the abdominal cavity, the diaphragm will be here. And the thoracic duct actually, it's originated from a big, like a collector place, a collection place of, of lymph called a cisterna cili. Cisterna cili, which is, it's not a lymph node. It's a dilation of all these ducts. It's like a collection point. And here is where lymphatics from the abdominal cavity drain the lymph to. And from the cisterna cili, we see the thoracic duct originated and bringing all the way up to the left subclavian vein. Remember, this is divided like this for that reason. Because this thoracic duct comes from the abdominal cavity, goes through the thorax, will drain to the left side. And this right lymphatic duct will bring lymph from the head and from the upper limb, right upper limb. How the lymphatic fluid moves and flows back to the heart? Mainly by the pressure in the interstitial space. There is no muscles around the lymphatic capillaries, the lymphatic vessels, it's just endothelium. It's just endothelium, a simple squamous epithelium. And as long as they get bigger, they are surrounded by connective tissue, but there is no smooth muscle cells, there's no contraction of these blood vessels, of these lymphatic vessels. Besides, the muscle around them, when they contract, will squeeze and milk these lymphatic vessels and promote the circulation. Also, the respiratory movements. When we breathe in, mechanics of respiration, when we breathe in, what happens with the pressure inside the thoracic cavity? Increases or decreases? When we breathe in, decreases. Decreases because we increase the volume, pressure decreases. That's a Boyle's law. And when the pressure decreases, that makes like a negative pressure that is actually pulling, sucking all the blood and also the lymph. So that's, those are the factors that move, uh, make the lymph move and circulate back to the thorax. So any obstruction, any obstruction on the way of the lymphatic vessel and the lymph node, anything that alters the flow of lymph will lead to accumulation or building up of lymph interstitial fluid in the interstitial space. Fluid accumulation in the interstitial space and that has a name that is called edema. 
and we see it as swelling. If we see um, usually the places that are more swollen are the ankles, around the ankles or both lower limbs or one upper limb um, in many problems like this case for instance this photograph is from a patient who had a surgery called radical mastectomy which is a removal of the mammary gland plus and it's called radical because what muscle is here behind the, the, the mammary gland what muscle is there Huh? Pectoralis, major or minor? Minor. What about the major? Both. Major first and minor deeper. Well, the radical mastectomy is about removing the mammary gland, removing the pectoralis major, and removing all the lymph nodes of the axillary region because those lymph nodes are the ones who collect the lymph from the mammary gland. And if there is a cancer, that's the reason why this surgery, if there is a cancer, the malignant cells will invade the axillary lymph nodes first. So the radical mastectomy is about removing the mammary gland, removing the pectoralis major muscle because cancer has invaded, it's gone deeper, and remove all the lymph nodes from that area to make sure that no cancer cells are, uh, remain in the, in the body. But what happens, we are removing all this. So the lymphatics from the right upper limb, they have no connection with the point of obstruction or the point of the surgery. So where they go? They don't drain. They don't drain anymore to the right lymphatic duct. And so the fluid will remain in the interstitial space. And we see after some weeks after the surgery, we see this. You, see, you can see the diameter of both upper limbs and compare. That's fluid. Where? In the interstitial space, in between the cells, in between the subcutaneous tissue, the dermis, hypodermis, mainly. What to do here? What do we do? How to remove this fluid? With a needle and syringe? Impossible. Because the fluid is in between all the cells. How can you remove the fluid? Not possible. Well. During the surgery, usually not all the connections are lost. Some connections remain. Some connections remain. And there are some sort of treatments like massage, like uh, taking medications to decrease the amount of fluid. And little by little, the body will readjust. And that has to do with the amount of fluid that comes out of the blood vessels, the blood pressure, venous pressure. But there is always some degree of swelling. Some degree of swelling. The problem is that excessive swelling can be dangerous for the nerves, for the circulation of blood. But that's a trade-in. You, know, you, you have the cancer removed, and this is the consequence, but you live with this, but you're alive at least. Questions to this point? So let's describe some lymphatic organs. Here we have the thymus, Lymph nodes, we've been speaking about lymph nodes, spleen, and red bone marrow. They are divided in primary and secondary organs and tissues that are widely distributed. They are everywhere. What are the purpose are? Well, the purpose is to 
first lymph nodes, we've been saying it's a filter, and the other organs will participate in one another way in the immune response. They facilitate the immune response. Starting with the red bone marrow, that, that's the place where all these cells, immune system cells are produced, so that's the origin of all these immune cells. Two, the thymus where training occurs, spleen, and lymph nodes that work as filters. So here we have the division of primary lymphatic organs and secondary lymphatic organs. Primary lymphatic organs are two, bone marrow and thymus. Because that is the place where these cells, the immune system cells, originate. Bone marrow, that's where the stem cells are. Stem cells, the stem cells called hematopoietic stem cells. You remember from blood, when we studied the blood, we described hematopoiesis, that process of formation of blood cells that happens in the red bone marrow. There are many lines of cells. One line will give place to red blood cells, another line will give place to leukocytes, some of them will be lymphocytes. Well, this is the origin of those cells. Lymphocytes, macrophages, are immune system cells. And then also they originate and divide, but also become immunocompetent. Immunocompetent means that those cells, once they are produced, formed, produced, originated there, they have to be trained. So they will be capable of respond to a start immune response. There are many problems, congenital problems of immunity, where the cells are produced, but they are not properly trained and they are not capable of response to a threat or invasion with the microorganism. So that's the primary lymphatic organs, bone marrow and thymus, they help for that. And then the secondary, the secondary lymphatic organs, those are the places where the immune response will occur. As I was saying, those are the battlefields. Lymph nodes, secondary lymphatic organs. Spleen, tonsils, and other lymphoid tissue like Peyer's patches and the walls of the small intestine. Questions to this point? Let's have a break, 10 minutes. Okay, <clears throat> so next part, we're gonna start studying these organs, one by one, naming some characteristics of the anatomy, where they are located, how they work. First, the thymus. Thymus is an organ that is located in the mediastinum, anterior mediastinum, right behind the sternum. The sternum is right here. And it is located in the anterior mediastinum, superior mediastinum on top of the heart. Thing is that the thymus works more during childhood. You see it here, thymus, above the heart, and in the mediastinum. The, th the thymus works more during childhood, but gets atrophic by puberty. Adults, 
will have very small amount of tissue, thymus tissue. Instead, it's surrounded by connective tissue and fat tissue. Why the thymus works only in childhood? Because that's the time when these cells, immune cells, get prepared, get ready. What happens in the thymus is training. Training of some particular types of immune system cells. Thymus is an organ that under the microscope looks like this. In the lab this week, we don't have thymus slides. We have lymph nodes, we have spleen, and tonsils. But this is the way that the thymus looks like. Groups of cells divided by septum of connective tissue. And the structure is like this. There is an outer area containing many cells, and we can see that here. That's called the cortex. And the clear area is called the medulla. The medulla. There are some red formations called the Hassel's corpuscles. Um, but those appear as long as the thymus develops and then gets atrophic. Um, it shows less and less amount of cells and uh, gets mixed with fat tissue. What happens in this area? The outer cortex of the thymus contains lots of T cells, which are lymphocytes, T lymphocytes or T cells. They are immature. They just got there from the red bone marrow. All these lymphocytes are produced, they are formed in the red bone marrow, in the bone. And from there, the T cells are sent to the thymus. So in the cortex of this, this gland, of these cells, we see lots of immature T cells. They proliferate, they divide, and start to get mature, and at the same time they are trained, they are instructed. And that process is called positive selection, in where from 100 cells that arrive here as immature T cells, only 25 survive. The other 75 will get into apoptosis or programmed cell death. Why? Because they didn't pass the exam. How sad is that? That will be terrible in the class. <laughs> so they don't pass the training and they are eliminated. Only 25 remain. Positive selection consists in these T cells are exposed to antigens, to pieces of bacteria, microorganisms, so they learn. It's like showing like training the police and show them the pictures of the bad guys. So this, that, these are the bad guys, so you see, learn, remember. And this 25% know that. Know that and they are completely mature with that information. The ones that didn't learn, they are eliminated. Why? Because if we leave one of those cells, let's say the thymus presents all the proteins, particles of our body also, 
and they say these are the bad guys and these are the bad the good cells like cells of the of the joints for instance so don't attack these cells of the joints but do attack this bacteria and some of the cells don't learn and they survive so they will not know and they will start attacking the cells of the joints well that happens sometimes that is called an autoimmune disease like lupus lupus is considered an autoimmune disease because some of these cells and that's one of the theories they didn't pass they didn't they weren't trained properly but they are still circulating and they start attacking normal cells normal tissue and the inner medulla the clear area of this gland that's where the mature T cells are mature and completely immunocompetent they are ready to work why the thymus get atrophic with the time? Because the maturity cells, they will complete straining and they will migrate to other secondary organs. Lymph nodes, spleen, penis patches, tonsils. So all those T cells are mature, completely trained. They will travel to secondary organs. And there is no more training to perform. All of them have been trained. But the T cells, the mature T cells, still can divide and proliferate and uh, keep the number of cells for a lifetime. Lymph nodes. Many lymph nodes, all scattered along the lymphatic vessels. There are superficial lymph nodes that we can palpate easily through the skin. And that's an important part of the physical examination, for instance. We look for cervical lymph nodes in both sides, we look for inguinal lymph nodes, we look for axillary lymph nodes, like someone comes with a small lump in the mammary gland of the right side, and we look for no lymph nodes in the right axillary region. If we find one, then we get very scared, because that may be a lymph node that is filtering cancer cells. So those lymph nodes are in groups like the submandibular, under the mandible, that we see here. Cervical, usually along the size of the neck. We normally don't palpate them, we, we cannot find them, unless you have an infection going on, like a pharyngitis, sore throat, a respiratory infection, a skin infection in the head. Then you may palpate some small lumps in both sides. Um, Children, usually when they are two, three, four years old, if you touch the necks of them, you will find lymph nodes you can touch them. Because it's very frequent they get respiratory infections, skin infections, exposition to, exposure to viruses, and uh, the lymph nodes are actively working, more than an adult. The axillary region, the axillary lymph nodes, inguinal. If you notice, the lymph nodes are located in strategic places. Inguinal region is filtering everything from the lower limb. Axillary region filtering everything coming from the upper limb and thorax, superficial. The neck, everything coming from the back, I mean from the head, from the head in the neck. And the mediastinal lymph nodes are in the thoracic cavity, in the mediastinal. And they collect all the lymph from lungs, heart. So the lymph node it has this structure. First, we have seen the 
afferent lymphatic vessels that bring the lymph and the efferent that leave the lymph node with the lymph already filtered. And what's inside the lymph node? Inside the lymph node there are cells, the immune system, the immune system cells. And we can see the lymph node divided in two regions. One of them is called the cortex and the central part is called the medulla. Cortex and medulla. And what's in the cortex? You see those purple circles? Well, those are called follicles. Lymphoid, lymphoid follicles. These follicles, they contain cells of different types. We see here in this graph, they are showing us the type of cells. Um, the follicle, one of them here, contains an area, a central area, that if you notice is a little lighter than the outer part, which is darker. This diagram, we don't see that very well, but I'll show you the picture with that. The central part is called germinal center. In all cells, what type of cells we have here? In the germinal cortex, I mean in the germinal center, we find these type of cells. We have B cells, follicular, dendritic cells, and macrophages. Macrophages, remember, are those cells that eat, eat, and eat bacteria, any foreign particle. Around the germinal center, we have B cells lymphocytes of the type B. Now in the medulla, in the medulla, we have cells arranged like in cords. And those cords of cells are called medullary cords. And they contain macrophages, B cells, and plasma cells. B cells, the lymphocytes B, they turn into plasma cells when they respond to uh, an infection or some injury or some threat. And the plasma cells produces proteins called antibodies, and they will attack the bacteria. Where are the T cells? The T cells are in the inner cortex, as we see here, the T cells. Inner cortex will be this area right next to the medulla. So as you see, this inside the lymph node, we have all these sort of cells, uh, working, fighting actively against whatever is filtered into the lymph node. Here this graph shows this much better. The green arrows are showing the circulation of the lymph from the afferent to the efferent in this way. We have one follicle or nodule here with a lighter central area called the germinal center. This central area is called germinal center. And all of these follicles are in the cortex. All of them are in the cortex. And the central part, we have the medulla. With the medullary cords, all these cords of cells. This is one of the slides that we will see in the lab this week. We are seeing in the lab to see all these follicles, germinal center, medullary cords, and uh, these typical images. Second organ, secondary lymph organ, or lymphatic organ, spleen. Spleen is located in the left hypochondriac region. And 
it is also filtered but it filters blood blood will not reach into the lymph node blood is filtered by the spleen this is the aspect of one of the spleen it's connected to the all the blood vessels splenic artery and splenic vein as we see here and the spleen consists has the following parts two types of tissue called white pulp and red pulp the white pulp that's a place where lymphocytes and macrophages are located. There are concentrations of lymphocytes or and macrophages. And those are the places where these cells are fighting against any bacteria or they are just developing, they have been stimulated and um, they are actively working. In the red pulp, the red pulp is all the surroundings around the white pulp. We may say the background. And it looks red, that's why it's called red pulp. And it contains blood. It contains blood inside this large veins called venous sinuses. And this is a place where red blood cells, all red blood cells, are removed, destroyed. We saw that in the blood. After 120 days, the red blood cells are filtered and removed and all the components are reused, like the iron is sent back to the bone marrow for more production of red blood cells. Well, that happens here in the red pulp of the spleen. So that's why we say the spleen filters blood, filters from red blood cells. Also microorganisms, if some microorganisms are found, they will be captured by the lymphocytes, macrophages that are in the white pulp. another view of uh, the spleen and uh, the histology is shown here. The capsule is usually very thick, a very thick capsule, connective tissue. And then we have the red pulp and the white pulp. The white pulp is all this. It looks like a follicle from the lymph node. Okay. The pen doesn't look so well. All that is uh, white pulp and it looks like the lymph follicle or nodule from the lymph node but the way to differentiate is in the spleen the white pulp it always has this central artery so if you see a slide and you think that you see a lymph node instead of spleen look for the central artery if you find it you can say that's spleen that's not lymph node and the red pulp is all this, all the background, all the surroundings, veins containing blood, and the blood going around. Another way in the diagram they're showing us white pulp, all the white area, and you see the central artery, the central artery in the middle. How this is understood? Anything that filters from these arteries, maybe particles, antigens, foreign, well, the white pole, which is lymphocyte macrophages, come around the blood vessel. And that's why we always see in the central area of the white pole a branch of, a, of, a, of an artery called the central artery. And all the surroundings, it's just blood that circulates inside the veins called sinuses.
tonsils. The tonsils are actually lymphoid follicles, lymphoid nodules, <coughs> lymphoid tissue located under the epithelium of the mouth. But they're organized in groups, that's why they are recognized as organs, the tonsils. They are soft tissue masses. They are located in the pharynx. In the pharynx. In the limit between the pharynx and the oral cavity. The tissue is similar to the lymph nodes. So it's this follicles, these round formations. And they are covered by the mucosa. The mucosa is the membrane, the mouth lining, which is what is the type of epithelium of the mouth, oral cavity? Simple squamous. Is that right? He says no. So what is? Simple columnar. So the stratified. Transitional. What's left? Stratified squamous. Stratified squamous. The skin is a stratified squamous. So therefore inside the mouth this is essentially the same. It's just that it doesn't have much keratin. But it's stratified squamous. And we see here in this diagram the palatine tonsils. The palatine tonsils are the ones located in between the pharynx, the throat, and the oral cavity, and those foldings of tissue called the pillars of the mouth. Palatine tonsils are shown here, this yellow tissue in both sides, but they are not the only ones. There's actually a ring of tonsils around the mouth. These two are on both sides, lateral. There's one tonsil which is in the nasopharynx. It's located in the nasopharynx. Remember, nasopharynx is on top of the palate, above the palate and pharynx. And that's called pharyngeal tonsil. This is the one that we usually call adenoids, the pharyngeal tonsils, or pharyngeal tonsil. And there's one more, the lingual tonsils, which is in the base of the tongue. In the base of the tongue. This dotted line is showing us the soft palate and the uvula. Pharyngeal tonsils are behind those structures. So for an oral examination, we can only see the palatine tonsils. We don't see the lingual tonsils much, or even the pharyngeal tonsils. Here you have another picture depicting the adenoids or pharyngeal tonsil, which are in the, which is in the nasal pharynx, palatine, and lingual in the base of the tongue. Problem with the tonsils is that they get very inflamed sometimes and swollen like this. And sometimes it gets to the point that they touch each other in the midline. You can understand how, how problematic is that. It gives a lot of pain, problems with swallowing, sensation of something in the throat all the time. And those are the cases where removal is advised, the surgical removal of the tonsils. But not in, all, in, in every case.
it has to be judged individually. <clears throat> now why are they get inflamed? Because there's a lot of reaction, there's a lot of activity, fighting against bacteria, usually in a chronic way for a long time. Tissue, lymphoid tissue. This lymphatic tissue that we've been describing as tissue scatter and spread all uh, in many other organs, it has a name, it's called MOLT, from mucosa-associated lymphatic tissue. So any lymphatic nodules or follicles that we see associated with a mucosa, say small intestine, a respiratory system, the trachea, the bronchi, any mucosa, that is considered mold. It's also in the stomach. Lymphatic nodules under the epithelium, as we see here. What type of epithelium is this? You see it? We just said it. Stratified squamous. Stratified squamous. And we see a group of lymphocytes, well, we see cells, but those are lymphocytes that are reacting, probably because one of these microorganisms or things came through the epithelium and start to invade our body and quickly there's a reaction. That's what we see there. In the lungs, this is mold and the epithelium of the bronchial. See the big lymphatic nodule here under the you know what type of epithelium is this? What type is it? Pseudostratified. Pseudostratified. That's a 48 next quarter if you want. <laughs> I'm teaching 48. And in the small intestine, ileum. This is where the Peyer's patches are, lymphoid, follicles. Usually in the ileum, the small intestine, in that area is a lot of reaction. Because it's close to the colon, large intestine, where there's a lot of bacteria, and it was the most contaminated places that we have in our body. But thanks to this lymphocytes, that these bacteria will not invade our body, will not reach the blood, and will not kill us. This is a picture of the appendix. And one of the things about the appendix, some people say appendix is useless, it's for nothing. Well, anything in our body is for nothing. It's, everything has a purpose. The different thing is that we don't know. But if you see in the histology of the appendix, you see a lot of lymphoid tissue, like this. So it's considered mold, all this tissue. And it seems to be that it has to do with the lymphatic organ. It's a concentration of lymphocytes and macrophages there in the appendix. Okay, so then, and finally, and to finish this, we have described all the organs, all the organs. And for Tuesday, we're gonna start describing the immune mechanisms or immune response. This is a list of some of the components of this immune system to show you how, how complex this can be. Um, first, cells. We have been describing these cells, T cells, B cells. These are the main actors of the immune response, as well as macrophages. This is the bad guy. 
When it gets inside, the first cell that responds is usually a macrophage that comes and eats that virus. But there are more components like this called complement. It's a set of plasma proteins that help in the, um, in the fight. Lymphokines or lymphokines are chemical substances, they are chemical mediators, they are messengers. They are usually paracrine, paracrine signals. Antibodies are produced by the B cells. And there is a special type of cell called killer or natural killer. Because they are, as the movie says, born to kill. They just kill. Whatever they meet, kill. And that's good because the virus kills. Well, immunity or immune response is divided like this. There are two types of immunity. Inborn, we're born with that. Innate, we bring that. And that's determined by the DNA, genetics. And adaptive. Through millions of years of evolution, and our body has been exposed to many, millions of antigens from the environment. And that is imprinted in the DNA. So when we are born, we have natural immunity. Our body knows already what are the threats in, the, in this planet, in this environment. And we have a list of things. And that's part of the innate or inborn immunity. But then the adaptive is acquired. So that means that after we are born, mostly, we are exposed to the environment and we start learning what are the threats, what are the foreign particles, microbes more common, and we respond to that through two types of response or immunity, cell-mediated and antibody-mediated. Which cells are involved here? Or B cells, T cells, and macrophages. There are some specific mechanisms in the antibody-mediated, and there are some specific mechanisms in the cell-mediated. But all of it is part of the adaptive immunity. So the immunity that we acquire when we are growing up, when we face, and actually lasts for a lifetime. Every day, every single day, we're exposed to new things and we have to adapt. <clears throat> the, the, the innate immune response, the one that we're born with, is described as non-specific, non-adaptive and includes most of uh, non-specific mechanisms that protects against many things like the first line of external physical chemical barriers talking about skin mucous membranes here in the graph we see more of those uh, mechanisms or innate immune response like lysozyme lysozyme is a substance that we have in the saliva and it's an antibiotic it's considered antibiotic it kills bacteria it neutralizes bacteria that's non-specific it just kills many bacteria nose filters in the eyelids the mucous membrane or tears they also contain lysozyme, non-specific. 
there's a normal floral microbiota in the pharynx, which means we have bacteria in the mouth and the pharynx that guarantee an environment that protects against pathogens, the bacteria that produce disease, acid in the stomach, the skin, of course. The urine has a low pH, so the bacteria cannot survive in that pH. Only when the pH changes is when we usually get urinary infections and they get uh, very bad. And this is a long list of other things. As I said, it gets, actually gets very complex, the immune system, immune mechanisms. Internal defenses are called, and we're talking specifically about cells and mechanisms that are related to the cell response, like uh, phagocytes, inflammation, fever. Inflammation, fever, and the presence of other molecules like interferons and complement systems. As I say, complement is a group of proteins that help in the immune system. Interferons are also chemical substances that are involved. All of them non-specific, innate immunity. We are born with them, and they help, of course, they help a lot. But Whenever we are exposed to new things, we have to work with an adaptive type of immunity. So we're going to do the adaptive immunity on the next lecture, and that comprises many other different mechanisms. Questions, comments? Okay, lap time, 5.30.